Today's budget is part of the continuing cover-up. This budget is not a serious fiscal plan for the country. It is a $41 billion corruption cover-up that Canadians will pay for if he's re-elected. That is opposition leader Andrew Scheer not happy about the budget, nor should they be. Uh, because not only does this budget not balance itself, the Liberals have spent $23 billion on stuff, literally something for everyone. Unless, of course, you're from Alberta, you get nothing. And if you're a business looking for a tax break to maybe compete possibly with our neighbors or anybody else, nothing. In fact, there's not much about this budget that is designed to stimulate the economy. It really is about stimulating your vote. And a lot of people, you know, overwhelmingly as you look at the feedback, and and it'll take days to kind of go over the dollars and cents of this budget because you always get the big headlines on the first day, but it's not until, you know, the analysis is done and you actually look through all the fine print. Remember, because this is where they, this is what they did. They buried the whole deferred prosecution that we're now talking about with SNC in the last budget. And that was on like something like page 423. So there will be a lot of people combing over the details of this budget and finding out where all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. But nothing in this budget prepares us for the rainy days we know are coming. In fact, some say are already here. Let's bring in someone who uh, will definitely have an opinion on this. Ian Lee, of course, Associate Professor, Sprott School of Business over at Carleton University. Hello there, sir. Uh, good morning, Alex. Tell me, because um, we're in different time zones, but you've been watching this. We, we are. <laughs> that's why I said. That's why I said good morning. I know. I'm like, okay, you're just waking up to the budget in the world where you are, but watching nonetheless. Uh, your over your your first reaction to the budget. Did they get anything right? Uh, yeah, I'm, I've certainly I've been up for two three hours. I've read the uh, the major documents and the coverage. Um, it was what I expected they were going to do. And uh, in other words, it confirmed my worst expectations. <laughs> my biggest uh, criticism of this budget is the criticism I've had with this government running deficits, uh, big deficits, when the economy has been going flat out, meaning it's doing very, very well. This is the equivalent of pouring gasoline on a fire. You don't need to. They argue it. we need stimulus. We have a very strong economy because the the future was set by both the Kretschmer and the Harper administrations in, in eliminating or, or substantially, very substantially reducing the uh, the massive deficits that the, they had inherited from the Trudeau father's administration that started in the Trudeau father's administration and compounded for 30-odd years. And that set the stage then for solid, uh, sustainable growth. What they're now doing, and have since they came into power in 2015, is squandering that legacy. Um, what concerns me, and you alluded to it, is if we go into a recession, and this is now the longest recovery in Canadian history, and recoveries come to an end. No government anywhere in the world has ever abolished the business cycle of uh, strong periods of growth followed by recession and so forth. And so they have, uh, they have no degrees of freedom. What I mean by that is if the economy goes into the tank, and we're already twenty billion in in, in deficit. Mm-hmm. What are they going to do? Take it to fifty billion? Well, by twenty twenty four, you look at the um, you know, the Taxpayers Federation. They have put out at tw- by twenty twenty four, we will owe one hundred billion dollars just in deficit spending, which is five times what Trudeau had right. promised when he ran on. And that is assuming Precisely. there's no recession. 
that is. And we're, I am not one of these people that say that all deficits and debt, government debt, is bad. I don't believe that. Uh, I believe that debt can be used prudently. Uh, in the 2008-9, uh, both uh, Pr uh, Prime Minister Harper and uh, and Obama, Bush and then Obama, stimulated the economy because it was in the worst recession since the Depression. And that's a prudent response when you're in that situation. We are exactly not in that situation. We have the lowest unemployment in 50 years. Uh, now, to be fair, it's you know a lot of that is being driven by the fact that we're so fortunate that we're next door to the United States and they have this incredible economy that's just uh, firing on all cylinders. As a consequence, our economy is firing on all cylinders, but it's going to come to an end. Mm -hmm. All recoveries come to an end. They are followed by a recession. And so they didn't address our declining competitiveness. They didn't uh, address the fact that our productivity is substantially below the U.S., about 25% below, according to StatsCan. They didn't address the gap in taxation mm -hmm. uh, between the two countries. There were things they could have done. And what they did is they pandered to their base by giving them lots of goodies um, and, of course, running up these deficits. But I do want to point this out, Alex. It's going to fall on younger people, yeah. far more so. This is the guy who says he's there for the middle class and for young people. But they're the people who are going to get whacked by this because they're going to be paying this. Why the middle class? Because there's many, many, many more people in the middle class right. than there are rich people. And it's going to fall on millennials, let me be really blunt, because they've got many more years left on this earth than boomers like me. So they're going to be paying for this. There's no free lunch. And so by adding on $100 billion over the next four years is going to fall on their pockets at the time when the economy is aging as we go forward. And there's going to be a lot more support needed for boomers right. in their elder years because they use up, to be, able to be blunt, they use up a lot more health care. Right, which wasn't addressed in this budget. But, you know, neither was Alberta's situation. There was nothing in with tax no. breaks uh, to become competitive. Right. I thought maybe they... I didn't think they'd actually put tax breaks into this, but I thought maybe they would heed some of the feedback they got on the um, the fall update, you know, the economic update that they got. They got a lot yeah. of blowback because they didn't do enough for for Alberta, certainly, but they've done nothing, nothing for the economy to stimulate and try to get the GDP kind of waking up. That was uh, another concern I had. The This government seems to be, you know, he says where Mr. Trudeau says that they're there to... Um, to to um, you know support the resource sector and resource development. I don't. I, I really have come to the conclusion they're not. Yeah. Um, they're they're doing a um, a rope a dope to use the famous phrase by uh, Muhammad Ali, the great boxer. They're doing rope a dope on this, where they're just saying the right things and just taking enough steps to say, look, we're with you. We are trying to build these pipelines, but you look at that bill that just is, is in the Senate the resource bill, and they've created many, many more barriers yeah. to developing any new resource project, not just pipelines. Yeah, you're talking about Bill 69. Yeah. Bill yeah. 69. And so I'm not, you know, at least they're consistent, <laughs> Alex. The reason there was nothing in Alberta is because they do not want to help the resource sector, and Alberta and Saskatchewan, and to a lesser degree Manitoba, are heavily dependent on resources. So that's why they did it. And instead, they're pandering, as I said, to their base by providing all these goodies in this budget. And, and another point, Alex, there's two things in there that really bug me in this budget. 
the the pharmacare yeah. the step to go forward and they keep saying we don't have a pharmacare program in Canada this is absolutely false false and I say that because I've looked at the data from the CAIHI, Canadian Institute of Health Information, set up by Paul Martin, by the way, when he was Prime Minister. And they collect enormous amounts of statistics on healthcare. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. 45% of all the prescription drugs in Canada, as I speak, are paid for by the provincial ministries of health. Yeah. We do have a pharmacare program in Canada. It is targeted to low-income people who need help. People like me, who is not low-income, do not get free drugs from the Ministry of Health. Nor should you. Because we, we yeah. have our private health insurance yeah. plans. What they want to do is give free drugs yeah. to deputy ministers mm-hmm. and superior court judges and you know uh, wealthy people, which is absolutely useless. I mean, it's squandering scarce resources. Yeah charging higher taxes to ordinary Canadians to give free drugs to high-income Canadians. This is madness. It is madness. It is madness and something that Doug Ford turned around on the provincial plan because this is a page right out of what the wind government was doing when it was giving expensive stuff exactly. to, to people that have plans as well. The other area that I thought um, you'd find interesting is this big plank about housing, that they're going to help you know, I, millennials was... or young people buy houses. But there's no details on how it's going to work. And I'm thinking I'm not going to let the government take a 10% equity in my house with no yeah. agreement of how that's going to pay, be paid back. What should people know about this? That, Alex, that was my second point. I said there were two things that really bugged me in this budget. One's pharmacare and the other's the assistance for uh, homeowners. This government, again, is doing just like they're doing on the deficit. You know, the, the, my metaphor that I like to use is they're, they're driving down the road with one foot on the gas pedal pressed to the floor and another foot on the brake saying, slow down, slow down. They have implemented all kinds of measures to make it much more difficult to buy houses because they're worried that there's too many Canadians buying houses and they're over, becoming overextended with heavy indebtedness. Now they're turning around, with, and they're not removing those measures. Mm-hmm. Now they're turning around saying, now we want to stimulate you to buy the house that we don't want you to get because we've got policies in place to try to stop you from buying a house. Now this is this is <laughs> this is crazy. I mean, one hand, one government hand is saying, "No, no, no. No, we've got to make it tougher and tougher, more down payment required, more stringent rules to be approved and by CMHC and so forth. And now they're turning around saying, but we really want to help you buy a house. I mean, they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth at the same time. But they're also One speaking out of their, their rear, though. they contradicting. Right. right. Yeah. But how much is the house going to cost me if I have to pay you out in, let's say, 30 years, but I have no idea what the interest rates would be or inflation? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, and so I, I think that there's other things they could have done. They, I mean, I, my big argument has been that this has been all along has been it's a supply problem. Mm-hmm. And that is in Vancouver and Toronto. The governments, successive governments, municipal and provincial, have made it more and more difficult for builders to build houses. They've taken all kinds of land uh, and said you can't build in the green belt and so forth. And and I know there's people that get religious about the green belt, but if you look at the United States, which is ten times bigger, their house prices are actually lower and uh, uh, you know relative to the incomes and so forth. And that's because they make it much easier to build properties. And I visit the states a lot. They make it a lot easier for for uh, de- develop. Developers, housing developers to build projects. 
But in Toronto and Vancouver, they've got this phobia or craziness about we've got to keep everybody inside the downtown and we've got to make the houses, the, the buildings go up and so we can stop urban sprawl. Well, our population is getting bigger. We bring in a third of a million new people into Canada every year. So, of course, we've got to. This edge of the city has to expand. And so they deliberately engineered higher housing prices by radically restricting the supply of housing in Vancouver and Toronto, where the problem is most acute. And this has been confirmed by a study at CMHC that one of the major contributors to the skyrocketing prices in those two cities is supply problems. That is to say, governments have restricted the supply of land, serviceable land, to build new houses. So what I'm saying is, these ideas putting forward this 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 proposal put forward by by uh, Morneau to share equity with the the uh, buyer is not the way to go. If you really want to make housing more affordable, they've got to take away the barriers that prohibit mm -hmm. or make it almost impossible to build more housing stock. Or just get rid of one of the transfer taxes that you get hammered with when you you know sign on okay, that dotted that, line. That yeah. would be another one. It would be. <laughs> that there would be go. another one, Alex. Um, I agree. Ian, I've got about 30 seconds left. Um, you know, they're basing this budget on the fact that we will not be in recession by the time the fall election comes, unless a snap election is called. Does the economy continue yeah. going along merrily until then? Um, I'm probably, I'll be very quick on this point, but we haven't had a, for about 80 or 90 years, a situation where the U.S. is not in a recession while we went into. In the, for the last 80, 90 years, whenever the U.S. was in recession, we went into recession. Mm -hmm. It could happen because of the all kinds of anti-business policies being adopted in Canada, natural resource uh, of, uh, policies that are hostile to development and so forth. It is possible that we could go into a recession while the U.S. is booming. But I think it's unlikely just because we are very tied into the U.S. economy and the U.S. economy is doing so well. Yeah, carrying us. Ian, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your time with me. I very much appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Alex. Enjoy. Cheers. That's Ian Lee joining us uh, from a very far distance away. So uh, I appreciate that he took the time to weigh in on the budget. You can't escape the budget. You know, if you're an economist, you, you love this stuff. So you listen. He heard the budget was coming and left the country. <laughs> He's hiding. <laughs> I got to get out of here. It's not far enough away. Here on Point, I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio.